and welcome to the Driver Hire podcast. My name's Tony from Driver Hire Croydon and Sutton. Hello, I'm Gary from Driver Hire in Colchester. And we decided to get together to create a series of regular podcasts for people who want to know more about driver hire, but principally to provide hints, tips and tricks to help our drivers be the very best that they can be. Hi Gary, how are you doing? Very well, Tony. The sun's out and um, I got sunburned about five years ago at a racetrack and with all this sun, my uh, forehead is like a a Belician beacon, is it? A Belician beacon, a Belician beacon. A Belician beacon, that's the one. Hang on. Well, so your head's flashing orange. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you see, the thing is, though, I'm somewhat more follically challenged than you are, Gary. So I I have to wear a hat on a sunny day. I have no choice because I'll burn to a crisp in seconds. (laughs) Well, I have seen pictures of you in the snow with a a nice bandana on to protect your head as well. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Well, yes. Living the brand, a driver hire bandana in the Alps. Yeah. Not very much so. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we have now in South London some much needed rain. It's been absolutely chucking it down overnight. It's chucking it down now. Um, you may not realise, but the room that I record in has got a uh, uh, a flat corrugated, uh, uh, if that's not a contradiction in terms, a flat corrugated roof. And and it's, um, yeah, if, if you hear that pitter patter, it's, it's the roof, not me. Yeah, I have the same problem here. We've got a flat roof and you can hear the rain, but we really haven't got it in Colchester yet. Can you send it my way, please? Oh, yeah, send me a couple of buckets and I'll chuck it back to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Gary, what are we going to be talking about today then? Well, how to get your free lorry license or truck license. Ah, oh, yes. Free licenses falling out of the sky like confetti. <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> I've seen two bits of. Um, news i think one was gb news and one was the scottish gazette but don't hold me to that saying how to get your car to lorry license so it must be a free license then <laughs> so um uh, no is the short answer really um, um but um to be absolutely clear um what is going on is that the department for transport are um they have a consultation paper out at the moment uh, and they're asking a number of questions of the transport industry um, for the transport industry's opinion as to whether these things are a good idea or not and uh, how they might work. And specifically, what we're talking about today is the idea that what we might do is grant a C1 and a D1, or in other words, a seven and a half ton and a 16 seater minibus license to anybody with a pre existing category B. A bit like they done with the trailers last year. So we can now tow a car and a trailer, but over 750 kilos, which wasn't the case prior to that. Yeah, exactly. So um, this happened uh, tail end of last year, tail end of 21, um, where you know, the need to take a separate test for B plus E or to tow a trailer behind a, a car or a van. Um, that was um, rescinded, if that's the right word. And so yeah, B plus E is something anybody can do with a with a car license so the reason they did that was to to, to free up um i think we spoke about this on a previous podcast they they did that to free up uh, enough driving tests because those b plus e tests were done at the government test centers so that meant um a good number of of, of test slots were freed up to help get more people through the hgv training so 
a bit like that, and the consultation happened in a similar way. Um, the question is being asked of industry, should we grant those licenses to people who pass a car test? So I can, in theory, just pass my car test, I can now jump in a seven-half tanner, and off I go down the road. Uh, well, both yes and no, but only if um, the legislation is changed. Um, so that's what the consultation is all about. So interestingly, prior to 1990, there was a licensing system in the UK, and um, obviously, <laughs> but that licensing system um, granted somebody passing a, a car test in you know, a mini metro or whatever the training vehicle of the day was prior to 1990. When you passed your test, you were given um, up to seven and a half tons and up to 16 seats that you could drive. And, um, and that was the way it was in the UK. But in 1990, we adopted the European licensing system. And in Europe, the threshold between car and truck wasn't seven and a half ton. It was and still is three and a half ton. So what that meant is in order to adopt the European licensing system in the UK, we had to grant people passing the car test category B, which is up to three and a half tons. But in order to carry on doing what we were doing, we had to create a new or two new categories in the in the European licensing system, which was C1, which is a subset of category C, which is a truck and D1 which is a subset of category D, which is a bus. Um, and the reason for that was that the government wanted, um, you know, for the initial period past 1990 to carry on being able to grant seven and a half ton and 16 seater minibus licenses, but to do it within the European licensing system. So in Germany, for example, if you passed uh, a car test back, you know, back in the day, you'd have had category B, um, and you'd have to pass a separate test, category C, to drive anything over three and a half tons. And that is currently the case um, for us in the in the UK. But we had this limbo period between 1990 and 1997. And the, the significant change, 1st of January 1997, significant change was we stopped issuing these C1s and D1s. So what that has meant is that anybody passing a car test since 1997, exactly the same as the European system, would be allowed to drive up to three and a half tons, and then it's separate tests for a C or a D um, beyond that. Um, so yeah, very much uh, harmonized with the European licensing system, but it's created a kind of direction of travel in this industry, which is that those people that have that c1 on their license so very few people actually take a test for c1 why would you you might as well take a test for category c or c plus e um because then it's all encompassing but you have these people uh, and they're an aging part of our industry without being rude to them uh, and we have this lovingly affectionate term in our industry called grandfather rights um which is a little bit disparaging um, um but essentially what what we mean by that is somebody who has acquired c1 on their license purely by dint of the fact that they passed their car test long enough ago but of course because we haven't been issuing c1 licenses since 1997 automatically with the car license that pool has been diminishing over time now what that means is that you often end up with a category C driver driving a C1 vehicle, 
which is exactly what would happen on mainland Europe because they wouldn't distinguish between the C and the C1. It's just a truck. Yeah, they don't class it as seven and a half. They class it as a lorry. Yeah, a yeah, exactly. So, so essentially, and I guess um, you know where this thinking has come from is: do we go back to the system that we had um, prior to adopting the European licensing system? Um, and and as with the B plus E thing we mentioned just now. Um, and also the fact that we we you know we can now go straight to C plus E um, you know as a consequence of Brexit does that mean there's things we can do to apply our licensing systems differently in this country? Yeah, and we're both old enough to have those rights naturally as well, aren't we? <laughs> well, yes, indeed. <laughs> um, so, so what does that mean then? So, so really, this is the government looking at ways in which. Uh, and we spoke about this before. We interviewed um, Tom from the RHA, um, and we were asking him about what opportunities they felt there might be from Brexit. And you know, the question is: Is this an opportunity? Because we're not tied to that European legislation now. Could the government revert us back to the position we had pre nineteen ninety seven, where people who's who have passed the Cat B post ninety seven? would be given that entitlement. So that is what the consultation is all about. And that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me on this, Tony, is um, we can now go from car to class one, C plus E. And we've got a load of new passes coming through with a lovely new shiny license with a class one ticket on it. And they don't want to drive smaller vehicles. They won't go straight into class one vehicles. So it's actually causing a slight issue of where they should be finding their feet driving seven and a half to class two before moving into the class one. They might go straight into that. Well, and I understand why, because the pay pays much mm. higher in class one. And mm. um, so we are causing ourselves a little vacuum at the moment of a shortage of the class two drivers coming through that we had pre-COVID. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've got every sympathy for drivers in that position. And, you know, I, I was in that position myself in 1989. I went straight, as you could back in those days, and you can again now, um, go straight from a car to a class one. You know, I didn't take a class one test to drive anything other than a class one. I was just desperate to drive a class one vehicle. And I, I took any work I could possibly find in a class one just to just to, just to do that. So I've got absolute sympathy for anybody in that situation. Um, the, and, but you're right. You know, the, the, why would somebody now, um, we're going off slightly off topic, but it, it's mm. relevant, Um why would somebody take a CAT C test when the cost is pretty similar to taking a C plus E test and encompasses everything? But I suppose, you know, what we need is a workforce that's flexible enough to say, um, I'll do C plus E or C or indeed C1. Um, but in reality, drivers are only really going to do that if the pay is more harmonised. Yes. Um, and, you know, and this is something I want to come back to later about how this decision if it's taken could affect pay um but it's interesting you say that because in your part of the world um you've got a much higher demand for class one drivers than we do here you know we're south london within the m25 um it, we we have uh, some class one drivers but pretty much all of those uh, are doing um class two or cat c work all the time because all the big distribution centers all the big rdcs have, have moved out um from inside london over the last couple of decades so so, so realistically speaking, you're not going to earn money as a C plus E driver 
in Croydon, I mean, obviously with the odd exceptions, um, most C plus E drivers in this area, they go out to places like Gatwick, Thurrock, Slough, those kind of places. So it's a it's a it's a longer drive at the start of their working day, which of course could be in the middle of the night, so it's not too painful. Um, but of course they're getting greater pay for doing it. Yeah. And we, we've got loads of class one work here with Phoenix Doe on Harwich Ports sitting on our doorstep. But it is causing us an issue with a lack of class twos at the moment. And I had a client actually say to me, perhaps we should, I've never had this before, charge me for a class two as a class one if it entices them to come and work for us. So you've got a customer asking you to put the charge rate up. <laughs> Correct, which is unheard of. Yeah, no, I, I, but... But yeah, I mean, that, that's a forward-thinking customer who is looking at ways of solving the problem. So I understand that. But coming back to the, the C1, um, I think the trajectory we've been on since 1997 is that the C1 market is a is a shrinking pool of mm-hmm. available people, um, which has had an upwards pressure on, on wage rate for, for those people, quite understandably. But also because, as with mainland Europe, where they don't distinguish between a C1 and a C. There is, there is no C1 in a European license. It's either, it's either a truck or it's a car, and that threshold is three and a half tonnes. So, so a Cat C driver wouldn't expect to distinguish their, you know, their, their, their pay be distinguished differently if they're driving a 32-tonner or a 24-tonner or an 18-tonner or indeed a seven and a half-tonner. It just happens to be a different weight, but it's, it's the same vehicle in terms of the licensing. So from my point of view in here, we're, we're HGV orientated. I have a load of class twos driving a seven and a half ton at the moment. Right. Because as you say, that pool of seven and a half ton drivers is a very aging pool and it is becoming very small. And I've found that we have far less issues now with seven and a half tons because they're qualified drivers and just haven't got the right to drive it. They've been had proper driving lessons. They've been taught how to drive it. And they're used to driving bigger vehicles and then dropping down to a slightly smaller vehicle, but they're being paid to drive that seven and a half as a class two driver in my situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I suppose, you know, maybe we should just chat through perhaps some of the benefits of, of you know, if, if people are going to go back on the consultation document and, and you know, agree that it's a good idea, you know, what kind of what kind of things make it a good idea? Well, I'm going to go a slightly step back. We Last year, it was a who shortage of drivers put everywhere. We didn't always have a who shortage of drivers. We always have a who shortage of drivers in the summer holidays because everyone has holidays at Christmas and at Easter because they're just not enough to cope up with the supply and demand. But it isn't for the 12 months of the year. So I don't know if we've got such a big problem as the government's making out, but that's my personal view, not necessarily across the board. And that's what this consultation's about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is definitely the case that you would, you know, at the flick of a switch um, overnight, you'd have a massive pool of C1 and D1 drivers that don't exist. Or when I say C1 and D1 drivers, what I actually mean is people that have now got that on their license that didn't have it before. But also, um, if you look at the RHA's opinion on it, um, their view is that over the next decade, the demand for smaller urban vehicles, so still trucks, but smaller urban vehicles, particularly electric urban vehicles, the demand for those is going to be far, far higher. Um, so that could mean that the, you know, the, 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 re- the requirement for drivers of smaller lorries could actually be, you know, really in demand over the next 10 years so so you can see why they might be thinking that um 
but then coming back to this point about you know training so you're going to give somebody keys to a vehicle they haven't been trained to drive i think if you were a larger organization you know uh, a, a large fleet with a variety of different sizes of vehicle taking let, let's say somebody from the warehouse and giving them on on the job training to learn how to drive a seven and a half ton vehicle um actually could be a safe way of doing it um obviously with a few caveats you can't just d- jump in and drive we'll come to that in a second but but i can see if it was done in a structured way in a large organization then it could be done safely so so i can see there could be some potential benefits but that wouldn't always be the case and if we take us as a driving agency they would potentially a client would potentially ask for a seven and a half ton driver we could put one of those people with a new shiny license with c1 on it now and they go in and they've never driven anything that big yeah yeah and it's you know but that that's the age-old problem isn't it um you know the it, you, you get your license but how do you get your experience because you've only just got it and you know and vice versa um so you know obviously it's not something we could do because you know if a customer asks us for somebody with experience of a you know performing a particular role then obviously that that you know new shiny license person can't do it um which is why i think it could only work if you had some level of on-the-job training so so there are potentially some benefits but there's also a few drawbacks we can see isn't there Gary? yeah very much so um i mean i've got to start off with the medicals um we as a hgv driver i have to do a medical every five years um a seven and a half ton driver doesn't have to do a medical every five years in the current system till he's 65 mm. and then he has to do it then yeah you see i my, my personal view is that the direction of travel of, of the industry with regard to the c1 license was that we were becoming far more like the european system where anything over three and a half tons is a truck that means that ultimately if, if nothing changes um ultimately you will only ever have cat c qualified and therefore proven medically fit to drive people driving those vehicles um if it's the case that that the government starts granting those c1 licenses to cat b holders then that wouldn't be the case you're quite right um unless somehow there was some kind of caveat built into that legislation yeah and i believe we should do because it a seven and a half ton it's still a big old vehicle to drive out there i've got a client um down the road here and they've got a seven and a half ton that is massively long and mm. i've taken people out training and that as well and uh, that's totally different yeah, yeah. Uh, because it takes up so much of the road when you come around to a junction how much it's the rear end swings out all the things you're not be used to if you're just driving a car or a van mm. well now we come to the biggie now i think any, anybody <laughs> any any hgv license holder listening to this podcast is probably screaming at the uh, the radio in their cab at the moment listen to this <laughs> um uh, because they're probably thinking well hang on a second you can give that license to somebody but it's completely blooming useless unless you have firstly a digi card um so right. so for those that don't drive these things already DigiCard is a digital tachograph card uh, where your hours are recorded um, because, of course, a vehicle over three and a half tons um, has to, you know, the driver has to comply with the driver's hours rule. So, so that's thing number one. So, yes, get your shiny new license given to you by the government, uh, but you're going to need a DigiCard. And you're also going to need to understand the driver's hours rules in order to operate um, your, your, um, your digital tachograph and manage your driving hours. Uh, and secondly, is the thing called CPC, the 
Certificate of Professional Competence or the Driver's Certificate of Professional Competence. And this is an interesting one because it's not really, it's not really suggestions within the consultation. I think they're perhaps looking for answers from industry. Um, but the Certificate of Professional Competence is something that a new HGV driver has to achieve right at the beginning called Initial Qualification and has to renew every five years uh, called Periodic Training. Now, we've done plenty of podcasts about how CPC works, but those are the two routes in. There's the two ways you can achieve CPC, either Initial Qualification when you first pass your test or Periodic Training every five years, uh, which is 35 hours, so five, seven-hour modules every five years. Now, it's not clear what the best way of doing this would be. Would it be the case that we would ask somebody who's been granted one of these uh, new free licenses, would we say, you need to go and do initial qualification, um, which means obviously there's a cost. You don't just get this free license. There's a, there's a cost to training. Um, or would you make somebody do you know, the, the, the five modules you know, the, of the periodic training to get their first qualification? E either could work. Um, one of the problems is that in the, in the uh, periodic training, you've got a free choice of which modules you do. So one of the things you're definitely going to want to learn is driver's hours rules and digital tachograph, but, but those modules aren't compulsory. So that perhaps presents a bit of a challenge. Yeah, yeah there's things like that that really frighten me because if you're out there driving a seven and a half tonne and never understand driver's rules, I can go off and drive 15 hours, can't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so so going back to my point about large organisations, so if you if you were a huge operator, dozens and dozens of vehicles, whole range of sizes in your fleet, you know, that example I said about perhaps somebody, you know, being promoted from the warehouse to becoming a seven and a half tonne C1 driver, um, then, yeah, of course, you could develop a training programme for that person that included those things. But far more difficult for smaller fleets, far more difficult for people like us. Um, so, so, you know, if this was ever to go ahead, I would love to see something solid in the legislation about how these people would achieve CPC. Yeah, I, I think we've got to devalue a good quality C1 driver. This is my biggest fear. Ah. They're far more professional today than they were 10 years ago, as far as I'm concerned. They've had much better training um, with the CPC. They've got knowledge. And as I said earlier, we have a lot of Class 2 drivers who have been professionally trained to drive large vehicles, driving seven and a half as well. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right, because you know, if, if you consider that, that anybody that's today a C1 driver either got their got their license pre-97 and therefore is likely to have quite a lot of experience or is a cat c driver driving c1 who's had uh, that proper training and initial qualification i think you're right i think you know the seven and a half ton driver um is is never been as good as he is today sorry if i say he <laughs> i haven't yeah. got haven't got any ladies at the moment <laughs> working for us um but um yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I, I think I think they 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 are more professional than they've ever been. And when you say devalue, I think devalue is in two ways. One is about the quality, um, but also, and I guess again, if there's seven and a half ton drivers driving their truck down the road listening to this podcast, I think there would be a massive fear that if the market was flooded with new seven and a half ton drivers, there would be perhaps a downward pressure, just the first rule of economic supply and demand. Um you know a downward pressure on that on that skill level you know at a time where 
you know, we, we really aren't looking to reduce people's wages, are we, in the current economy? No, far from it. And if we take the last 18 months, drivers' wages have gone up quite a bit. Mm. Far That's more than I've ever known in the 10 years I've been doing it, and most probably far more than you, you've been doing a little bit longer than myself, Tony. So I don't want to devalue a driver. A driver is doing a very good job out there, working hard, going long hours and the such like. We shouldn't be saying, oh, we can bring someone new in and pay them less. Mm. So one of the other issues I see, Tony, is the insurance. Um, mm. Insurance companies are very keen on HEV drivers being well-trained. They're not over keen on them being new passes for a start. So we've got to bring people in with no training, potentially, mm. going straight into a C1 vehicle. That's got to affect a lot of business on their insurance policy. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it, it is the case um, that, you know, yeah, the, the end of coronavirus, whenever that was, um, and, and you know, that the, the DVSA were coming out of hibernation and they changed the licensing rules to allow people to go straight to C plus E. There was an absolute flood of people that, that um, they either lost their jobs and were looking for a career change um, or just fancied a career change, or indeed heard what the, the, the media was saying about um, truck drivers' wages going up rapidly, which they did. Um, so there's lots of people that were you know, flooding the training centres looking for training courses. Our local training provider here, uh, he was inundated. You know, his order book was absolutely full. Um, but the problem was that, that I, I, you know, I took phone calls. I still take them now day after day after day of people that had just passed their test, knowing, um, me knowing that the customer base I had would require a certain level of experience to be able to insure them on their fleet. Now, the one or two exceptions, and we've worked well with those customers to get those new pass drivers through where we can, but the quantity of new pass drivers versus the vacancies for new pass drivers meant that lots and lots of people very disappointed. Um, but that's not because our customers weren't, wanting to do it it was as you quite rightly say gary the insurance companies where they would attach such high excesses or premiums for new past drivers um and i think you're right to point it out because we could be in that same situation so this might look like you know the, the magic wand that says there we go loads of new people thank thank you government for giving us all these new people but in reality would we go through the same experience again yeah, this could be very hard to tell. I mean, I've got two clients I know will take new passes, but their excess triples wow. for a new pass triples. Mm. Well, so it's got to be a potential issue for us if we do go down this route. Mm. So I suppose I wanted to wrap up with kind of what do we think, but I think we've really given away our opinion already on, on this. <laughs> but you know, I, so I think I think you know for the. For the, for the well, the first, the first and most important reason for me that I personally don't think it's a good idea is that if you just think about the characteristics of a vehicle. So when you're driving a van up to three and a half tons, you're driving something which has got um, hydraulic brakes. Um, you know, quite often that would be um, you know regular suspension. But when you flip past three and a half tons, you're driving something which has the characteristics of a lorry, which is air brakes, air suspension, clearly bigger, clearly more overhang. It's a, it's a different driving style. And, and that vehicle between three and a half and seven and a half tons is a lorry, not yeah. a car. Correct. Now, I've done a little bit of research for this, Tony, um, yesterday. I moved a lorry to a for, for a service for a client. 
only sort of 20 minutes up the road. And I haven't driven lorry for a little while. Within the first 20 yards, I need to put myself through the windscreen. I'd forgotten <laughs> how sensitive some air brakes can be. Did you did you forget that? Did you forget that rule of just touch it, then squeeze it? <laughs> yeah, yes, very, very, very much so. Funny enough, when I come to the roundabout, I was fine. But but I've got experience and it did come back to me, but it didn't happen straight away. And mm. I've got my license since 1984. So <laughs> I have got definitely got experience. But yeah. I forgot. I mean, yeah. what's what happened if, if I put my son, who's nearly 23, into a lorry and he used to drive a little car, he's going out through a windscreen like there's no tomorrow, <laughs> and or he's got to swing out and take the back end of a lorry into a car. And mm. around the back. Yeah, no, I, I think so. So from my point of view, that, that direction of travel we had, which was effectively you know, converting C1 into C over time to the point where um, you know, eventually there'll be no, nobody left with the grandfather's right C1. And then C1 driving is exactly the same as Cat C. There'll be no distinction. You know, so for me, I think this would be a backward step if, if the government were to take it. Personally, I agree 100% with you, Tony. Not going to hear me say that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but anyway, that's what that's what we think. Um, I, I dare say there will be, um, you know, customers of ours listening to this podcast that will go, my God, I need C1 drivers. You know, anything I can do to help get more people through the door uh, and, and may well have a, a different opinion. They might be very prepared to, to do that, you know, um, support and training for those people. So so um, the consultation closes on the 28th of October. Um, and we'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, if we've got to do it, let's do it professionally. Let's not just give the licence out. This is mm. my personal view. Um, and we... We've worked really hard this industry the last few years of dragging it up, and it is much more professional than it has been in the past. And that's maintained that by keeping the training going at the right standard. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a, that's a good final point. You know, if if it is to go ahead, let's do it in such a way that it's safe. People aren't putting themselves and other road users at risk. Um, but um, but yes, anyway, <laughs> we, we, we showed our hand. So yeah, please do yeah. let us know what you think. Yeah, so if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you very much, Tony. It's been good to see you again and um, look forward to our next meeting. Yes, absolutely. Cheers, Gary. Thank you. You've been listening to the Driver Hire podcast and thank you very much. And as goodbye from myself, Gary Richards at the Colchester office. And from me, Tony Gosher, at the Croydon and Sutton office. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at thedriverhirepodcast.co.uk. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye.